Thanks for tuning into the ES First podcast. We'd love to connect with you on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter. So take a minute to hop on over and give us a like or a follow. And of course, if you're ever in Excelsior Springs, stop on by. We can't wait to welcome you home. Good morning. My name is Allison. For those of you who came expecting to hear Brandon preach, surprise, you get to hear from his little sister. Thank you. Thank you. Brandon is our pastor here at ES First. I'm our worship pastor. And uh, I just want to take a moment to say thank you for sharing your pulpit with me this morning. There's only 52 Sundays in a year. So for a pastor to hand over his pulpit to somebody else is a big deal. And I don't take it lightly and I appreciate it very much. Brandon's been our lead pastor for just a couple of months now. And you guys know what a great speaker he is. And some of you know what a great leader he is. But I just would be remiss if I didn't take the opportunity to tell you that he is doing a phenomenal job at taking over the lead pastor position. Without further ado, let's get into the word of God. Here at ES First, we preach through books of the Bible, and right now we are preaching through the book of John. So when Brandon said, hey, I'd like you to preach sometime during the book of John, pick something or I'll assign something to you, let me know. I told him I would like to speak on the story of the woman at the well. So today, if you will open your Bibles with me to John chapter 4, we're going to read the story of the woman at the well. All right, we're going to read a lot of John chapter 4. I'll try to move through it not too quickly so you can hear it, and then we'll break it down, right? So if you miss some stuff going through, that's okay, but try to focus so you don't miss something, right? Because there are just little tiny details in the Word of God that affect our lives, and I want to make sure that you get every single one. So we're going to read, starting John chapter 4 and verse 1, Jesus and the Samaritan woman. Jesus knew the Pharisees had heard that he was baptizing and making more disciples than John, though Jesus himself did not baptize them. His disciples did. So he left Judea and returned to Galilee. He had to go through Samaria on the way. Eventually, he came to the Samaritan village of Sychar, near the field that Jacob gave to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired from the long walk, sat wearily beside the well about noontime. Soon, a Samaritan woman came to draw water, and Jesus said to her, please give me a drink. He was alone at the time because his disciples had gone into the village to buy some food. The woman was surprised, for Jews refused to have anything to do with Samaritans. She said to Jesus, you're a Jew, and I'm a Samaritan woman. Why are you asking me for a drink? Jesus replied, if you only knew the gift God has for you and who you are speaking to, you would ask me and I would give you living water. But sir, you don't even have a rope or a bucket, she said, and this well is very deep. Where would you get this living water? And besides, do you think that you're greater than our ancestor Jacob who gave us this well? How can you offer better water than he and his sons and his animals enjoyed? Jesus replied, anyone who drinks this water will soon become thirsty again. But those who drink the water that I give to them will never be thirsty again. It becomes a fresh bubbling spring within them, giving them eternal life. 
please, sir, the woman said, give me this water and then I'll never be thirsty again and I won't have to come back here to get water. Go and get your husband, Jesus told her. Uh, I don't have a husband, the woman replied. Jesus said, you're right. You don't have a husband for you've had five husbands and the one that you're living with now you aren't even married to. You certainly spoke the truth. Verse 19, sir, the woman said, you must be a prophet. So tell me, why is it that you Jews insist that Jerusalem is the only place to worship while we Samaritans claim that it's here at Mount Gerizim where our ancestors worshiped? Jesus replied, believe me, dear woman, a time is coming when it will no longer matter whether you worship the father on this mountain or in Jerusalem. You Samaritans know very little about the one you worship. While us Jews know all about him, for salvation is coming through the Jews. But the time is coming, indeed it's here now, when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. The Father is looking for those who will worship him that way, for God in spirit, so those who worship him must worship in spirit and in truth. The woman said, I know The Messiah is coming, the one who is called Christ. And when he comes, he will explain all of this to us. Then Jesus told her, I am the Messiah. Just then his disciples came back. They were shocked to find him talking to a woman, but none of them had the nerve to ask, what are you doing with her? Or why are you talking to her? The woman left her water jar beside the well and ran back to the village telling everyone, come and see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could he possibly be the Messiah? So the people came streaming from the village to see him. I'm going to skip ahead a little bit. Follow me ahead to verse 39. Many Samaritans from the village believed in Jesus because the woman had said, he told me everything I ever did. When they came out to see him, they begged him to stay in their village. And so Jesus stayed for two days, long enough for many more to hear the message and believe. Then they said to the woman, now we believe not just because of what you told us, but because we have heard him ourselves. Now we know that he is indeed the savior of the world. Let's pray. Father God, I thank you so much for your word. I thank you that it's powerful and effective for our lives. And today I pray that you would just give us a fresh understanding of who you are because of this passage. God, pour out a fresh anointing, a fresh word for our lives. Father God, continue to move in the hearts of your people in this room. And I pray that the meditations of my heart and the words of my lips will be pleasing and acceptable to you today. In your name we pray, amen. Don't you love reading the word of God? I feel like I could just stop right there. Like you guys got it. You already know. But I want to give you some more details in case there are some things in this story that maybe you haven't heard before. And hopefully through some of the things that I dig up, you will understand the heart of God for your life even more this morning. So let me lay down some background information about the culture and the time period that we're reading about here in John chapter four. So I think it's important for you to understand if you have not heard this before, some of you have, so hang with me. But during this time, there was extreme, extreme racism between these groups of people, the Samaritans and the Jews. And here's why. Samaritans were a mixed race, right? They were 
mudbloods, if you will. They were descendants of the imported Gentiles, right? So Samaria, the Gentiles imported some of their people into this land. And also some poor Jews who were left in this area after the Assyrian and the Babylonian conquests. So these groups of people, the Gentiles and the Jews, began marrying one another, intermarriages. They started having children. And the Jews were ticked off because they ruined the pure bloodline of the Jewish heritage. The Gentiles also didn't appreciate the Samaritans so much because they ruined their bloodline, right? So in turn, as it does, when people begin to hate another group of people, so the Jews hated the Samaritans, and now the Samaritans begin feeling some sort of way about the Jews, right? You've seen racism before. You've seen it really a lot in our culture lately. That's what's happening between the Jews and the Samaritans of this time. Also, there is a major divide between men and women during this time. Culturally, it was kind of unacceptable for a woman to speak to a man unless first spoken to. Thank you, Jesus, that you did not raise me in that time period, right? I'd have been dead a thousand times already. But women weren't allowed to speak to men unless they were first spoken to. And so we see this conversation where they're happening, and it's kind of okay, right? Because Jesus opens the dialogue with the woman. However, do you remember in uh, verse 27, where the disciples were shocked that Jesus was talking to a woman and they didn't have the nerve to ask her, what are you doing with this woman? It's because the Jews wouldn't speak to women in public for fear of being seduced. But this was very unusual for a man and a woman to be speaking together, right? This was just kind of unacceptable, really. And you kind of feel that tension, right? When Jesus talks to her and she's like, who do you think you are? You're a Jew. I'm a Samaritan. Why are you asking me for water, right? You're a man. I'm a woman. Aren't you afraid of me? That I might seduce you? Right? So you see this tension happening in the story. And the last kind of historical piece I want to make sure that you understand is the route from Judea to Galilee. Right? So so geography is not my strong suit. So I made sure to look at the maps in the back of my Bible when I was preparing for this to see And I can explain to you, because I've looked at it a lot of times, to make sure I don't screw this up, and I wrote it down. (laughs) So the route from Judea to Galilee is pretty much a straight line. It's not an exact straight line. It kind of curves a little at the top, right? So Judea's in the south, Galilee's in the north, and smack dab in the middle is Samaria. So if you are going to travel, they don't have trains, planes, and automobiles, the easiest way is to go straight north right? Just go right up through Galilee. However, typically because of the extreme racism that was happening during this time period, Jews would elect to go around Samaria. It was longer, it was harder, but they avoided Samaria at all costs because oftentimes if they went through Samaria, they would get mugged, they would get robbed, they would get murdered because of the time period that they were living in. So most Jews were like, nah, we're going to avoid Samaria all together. We're going to go around, but not Jesus. In verse four, if you look at it with me, it says he had to go through Samaria on the way. He had to. Now the Bible doesn't mince words, right? It's 
the inspired breathed word of God. So every word is chosen carefully. And I'm like, he didn't have to. Does the Bible not know there's a route around Samaria? Like, you know, I'm just a girl that's horrible at geography. And I saw the route that goes around Samaria. But the Bible is very clear. It dedicates an entire verse to saying that Jesus had to go through Samaria. I believe it's because he intentionally wanted to encounter this Samaritan woman that day. And I think that's just a revelation of God's heart for each and every single one of us. Jesus intentionally met you here today because he wants to have an encounter with you. Even when it makes more sense for him to go around you, like, ah, I'll get back to them later. No, he makes a beeline. He's intentional about the relationship that he wants to build with you. Not just your mom, because she's a good saint. Not just your dad, because he's an old pastor. He wants to have a relationship with you. And so he is going to go wherever you're at. You can't run from him. You can't hide from him. As much as we try during different seasons of our lives, like, nah, Jesus, I'll just be over here in Samaria because I know that you're a Jew and you'd rather just go around. He's like, no, I'll meet you there. I'll meet you there. Jesus wants to meet you wherever you're at today. He wants to have a relationship with you. And you see this over and over again in Jesus's ministry. Jesus has a very effective ministry when he's speaking to the multitudes, right? He can get people saved 5,000, 10,000, 15,000 at a time. So why didn't he just keep doing that? Because he had kind of a short ministry on earth, 33 years, right? I'm 34. That would have meant my ministry stopped yesterday. So in my mind, I'm like, I would have wanted to speak to as many people as possible anytime I went to go minister to someone so that way I could bring them to know God the Father. But we see over and over again, Jesus goes for the one. He goes out of his way to meet the man that is full of demons, to minister just to him. Even though he's got to make it to Galilee, he stops through Samaria just to speak to this woman. And we see these stories about how the shepherd leaves the 99 sheep that are all safe in the pen and comes and goes after you. He's chasing you down today. You can keep running. Your leg is going to get tired because he's not going to stop. He wants to have a personal relationship with you. And so I want to talk a little bit about Jacob's well. Jacob's well was a cistern, right? Which is basically just like old school well. The woman tells us that it's very deep. And in order to get water out of it, you're going to need to drop your bucket down and pull up water. And it's a holy place. Remember how offended she was when she was like, Jesus, who, I don't know who you think you are, but my ancestors built this. This is a holy place that we come together and we gather and we draw from the well. The well was essentially made for a couple of different things. Passerbys, like Jesus on his journey, would stop and get water. Or shepherds, when they were coming home at night or passing through the area with their sheep, they'd stop and get water. And in the morning time, women would come to the well with these big jars, right? And they would draw water for their household for the day. They would bring water home in these massive, like, 40-pound clay jars, 
or stone jars. But I love what happens at Jacob's well because it reminds me of the church. These women gather early in the morning and they hang out. And I imagine it's like some of you ladies who stand out in the foyer after service, right? And you talk about like, what's the best remedy for my kid's cold? What's the best marketplace to get that blue sash that you have? And there's a sense of community that happens around Jacob's well, and it continues on through the history of Jacob's well, because in 384 AD, a church was built over the top of it, not like built over the top of it and pushed into the ground. They built churches around Jacob's well because it was a holy place. It was a gathering place. It was a meeting place. It was a watering hole. And still to this day, A monastery is built around Jacob's well. And I just love this picture of the church around Jacob's well. Like I said, women would come early, early in the morning, because if you've ever had to do work outside in the middle of July in Excelsior Springs, you know, you just want to mow the grass in the morning, right? You do not want to go mow the grass at noon. It's hot. It's hard. You are setting yourself up for like heat stroke. It's hot at noon, right? So people avoid the well at noon. We see that Jesus is alone. The Bible says Jesus is alone at the well. Why is that? Because everyone comes in the cool of the morning. Everyone comes in the cool of the morning, but not this woman. She came at noon, and I think we get an understanding of maybe why later on as she's talking to Jesus, because... She had some failures. She had some faults. She had some not so glamorous things in her life. And I think she was like, I would just rather avoid all the women at the well in the morning. At all costs, I would rather go in the hottest, hardest part of the day so I don't have to face those people. I really didn't want to preach on this, but I feel like God just kept bringing it up, kept bringing it up in my preparation This woman was isolating herself from a community that God had placed her in. And sometimes we avoid the well. We avoid the church. We avoid the church people because we've got some things going on in our lives that we're afraid that people are going to be like, oh, here comes the Samaritan woman. You know what she did. You know that she's living with a man that's getting the milk for free because he won't put a ring on it. Let that be a lesson to you ladies. That's not even part of my sermon. (laughs) And so she avoided the well at all costs. And Satan would love nothing more than to isolate us as believers. To draw us out from our community. Because darkness breeds in isolation. And dare I say that we avoid the well because of a fear of what people might think of us or say about us, or they might just ask about how it's going and, and we might break down because it's not going so well. And so we're like, I'll just get my own drink of water somewhere else. Some other time I can't go to the well. I can't be seen by my friends who know my brokenness, who know, but I think if you would just come to the well, you would find we're all thirsty. We're all a little bit broken. We're all in need of this community. I was thinking about this idea of isolation and how isolation invites darkness and how community invites light. And I was thinking about, if you watch a lot of Nat Geo or Discovery Channel like I do, 
you see these animals in the desert, right? And they come around, guess what? A watering hole. And you see all these gazelle, they're so pretty, and they're like heads down, drinking the water, talking to each other like, ooh, nice outfit today, right? And all of a sudden, you're watching Discovery Channel, like, oh, these animals are so beautiful. And all of a sudden, all their heads lift up at once. And they begin to run as a pack. And you're like, what? what are these animals running? They must be all done getting a drink. Just on their way home. And then you see a lion come out of the tall grass. And these gazelle, you're like, oh, gazelle, get to moving, right? And they're running as a pack. They're running for their lives. And all of a sudden, this one little guy, like, kind of, we're all running this way. And this one guy's like, ah. And you're like, that's the one. That is the one that is going to be lion lunch. And the scene plays out. And as that one gazelle separates from the herd, as it's isolated from its community, the lion devours it. The Bible tells us that the devil is like a lion seeking who it can devour. And when you isolate yourself from the community that God has put you in, for whatever reason, it makes it easy for Satan to devour you. Things that breed in in isolation are things like anxiety, depression. Things that thrive in isolation are things like addictions. We saw this right with COVID. People were driven to their homes. They couldn't go to work. They couldn't go to school. They couldn't come to church. And you just watched, not even just the national numbers, the global numbers of addiction, substance abuse begin to rise. Because addiction thrives in secrecy. And so I just feel like I need to tell you because you're going to have the opportunity to avoid the watering hole. You're going to have the opportunity to avoid the well. Maybe just this morning you thought, I don't really want to go. But you came anyway. Don't avoid the well. You need this place and we need you. So she's sitting down, she's talking to Jesus and uh, he's like, woman, could you get me a drink? And she's like, pardon me? You're a Jew. I'm a Samaritan. I'm not so sure this is going to work out so well for you. Why would you ask me for a drink? And Jesus in verse 10 says to her, if you only knew the gift that God has for you and who I am, you would be asking me for a drink and I would give you living water. So I want to look at this idea of living water. In the Hebrew, the word is hudor zone. Hudor zone is this phrase, living water. And it happens three times in the New Testament. And every single one of them is by our friend John. So let's look forward because in... John chapter 7, he actually gives us a definition for this living water that he tells a Samaritan woman, if you only knew the gift God has for you, you'd ask me and I would give you hudor's own. I would give you living water. So uh, flip forward with me to John chapter 7. We're going to read verses 37, 38, and 39. On the last day, the climax of the festival, Jesus stood and shouted to the crowds, anyone who is thirsty may come to me. Anyone who believes in me may come and drink. Starting to sound like 
the Samaritan woman story. For the scriptures declare rivers of living water will flow from his heart. And then John defines living water for us. When he said living water, he was speaking of the spirit who would be given to everyone believing in him. This is the living water that is offered to the Samaritan woman. And in fact, it's offered to each and every single one of us as believers. The living water that Jesus wants to offer you today is the Holy Spirit. It's the Holy Spirit living and breathing inside of you. And if you uh, hop back over to John chapter 4 and verse 13, I love how he describes the well of living water. He says, anyone who drinks this water from the well, Jacob's well, will soon be thirsty again. But those who drink of the water I give will never be thirsty again. Here's how the water exists. Here's how the Holy Spirit exists in your life. It becomes a fresh, bubbling spring within you. When you're thirsty, when you're physically thirsty, you have to go to the well, or nowadays we go to the faucet, and you have to draw water, right? You have to open up the faucet and put your glass under it and take a drink. You have to go and draw from some sort of well. But the well of the Holy Spirit, the living water that is provided for each and every one of us as believers, exists within you. You don't have to go and be like, Brandon, I need you to pray for me because I need some Holy Spirit. No, you just have to draw from the well of living water that is inside of you. And the things that the Holy Spirit produces in our lives, this living water that flows from our heart is the version I read. But another version says it flows from your belly. The Holy Spirit flows from your belly. Do you understand the power that exists inside of you if you would only be faithful to draw from the well, to dig down inside of you? What are the kinds of things that you can draw from this well of the Holy Spirit in your life? Galatians 5, and 23 tells us exactly the kind of fruit that's in our lives in the living water of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit in your life. Not just my life, because I'm standing up here on the stage. Not just Brandon's life, because he's the lead pastor. The Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit in your life. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. All of these things exist naturally naturally inside of you, supernaturally, really. But when you say things like, I don't have patience, trust me, I'm just preaching to myself this morning. You're lying. If you believe in God, patience exists inside of you. It's living water. You just have to be faithful to draw it out in times where you're starting to feel impatient. You dig in to the Holy Spirit. When you approach that person, maybe, I'm just going to say, like, maybe your ex-spouse, maybe you've got a bad boss, and you're like, I just, I don't have kindness for this person anymore. I don't have kindness in my heart anymore. Yes, you do. It's a living well inside of you. It's the Holy Spirit that never leaves you. 
You don't have to go someplace to draw from this well. It's with you wherever you go, 24-7, 365. Church, it is time to start drawing from the well of the Holy Spirit and stop making excuses. I can't have joy. You don't know what I've been through. Yeah, I kind of do. I've been through some stuff too. It's hard for me to wake up and have joy right now. But every morning I can choose it. I can choose it. You can steer your thoughts. You can control your mind. You know why? You have self-control. You have self-control for everything in your life that you want to accomplish. You have self-control for the things that you put into your body. You have self-control for the relationships that you allow in your life. You have self-control for the words that come out of your mouth. It's time to start aligning our words, our emotions, everything in our life with the living water that exists inside of us. And this is just the start. This is just the fruits of the Holy Spirit. He also gives us gifts. He gives us words of knowledge. He gives us prophecy. He gives us power to heal people. He gives us anointing. He gives us the power to speak in tongues. I know we don't talk a lot about that at church, but some of you are kind of wondering, like, how can I speak in tongues? It's living inside of you. Just let it come forth. Just let it come forth. I have more on this. Don't worry. Man, living water. Oh, it's like this. A lot of times we're like asking God, God, I need peace. This morning, I was like kind of nervous. Normally, I'm not nervous to preach. I'm 100% of the time nervous to lead worship. And I'm like, excuse me, I know how to preach. Not this morning. I was pretty nervous. I texted my brother Johnny. I said, I think I'm going to puke on everything. And so I was praying to God, like, God, just give me some peace. Give me some peace. Give me some peace. And God was like, read your sermon notes because peace exists inside of you. And so I started changing my prayer. And I said, God, thank you for your peace. God, thank you that my shoulders don't feel tense. God, thank you for this peace that passes all understanding. Because sometimes we go to God and we're like, God, give me peace. God, give me peace. And he's like, I already gave it to you. The Bible talks about the Holy Spirit, this living water, and it calls it a gift. It's a gift to you. It's already been paid for. It's already been given to you. And so I was thinking about this as I was asking God, like, give me peace, give me peace. And he's like, you already have it. I was like... God, I don't want myself to be a sermon illustration, right? And I want somebody else to be a sermon illustration. And I started thinking about, it's like your kid that comes to you and is like, Dad or Aunt Allie, I need a new pair of soccer shoes. My toes are kind of coming out the ends of these and I need some new soccer shoes. And he tells you every day, Mom, I need some new soccer shoes. Dad, I need some new soccer shoes. And finally you're like, Okay, we got to get this kid some new soccer shoes. You go to the store, you buy them, you wrap them in a gift, you put them in his room, and he comes to you and he's like, Dad, I need some new soccer shoes. And you're like, I got something for you. It's in your room. It's wrapped up. It's a gift on your dresser. Just go and open it. See what's inside. And your kid goes in their room, and they look at the box, and they're like, I'll get to that later. Dad, I need some new soccer shoes. He's like, okay, yeah, just... Go open your present, and then we'll talk about it. Go open the gift I've already gotten for you, and then we'll look at maybe getting you some soccer shoes. Kid walks in the room. It's a box. Dad, I need some new soccer shoes. And your dad's like, I already paid for it. They're in the box. Go open it. Put them on. 
That's the Holy Spirit in your life. When you're going to God and you're like, I need peace. I need patience. I need love. I need joy. He's like, I already paid for it. Put it on. The living water of the Holy Spirit exists inside of you. It's time to start drawing from that well in every situation, in every moment of your day. Let's go on. Verses 16 through 26, she begins to encounter Jesus. When you see her first talk to Jesus, she calls him a Jew. It's a racial slur is what it is. You're a Jew. I'm a Samaritan. Why are you talking to me? And then he begins to talk to her about the things that he has for her life. And she's like, okay, sir. She moves from a racial slur to a sign of respect. Okay, sir. Tell me more. I may want this living water that you're talking about. And then he begins to tell her everything he knows about her. You've been divorced five times. You're living with a man that even isn't your husband. And she's like, wait a minute. This isn't just a Jew. This isn't just a man. She says, you must be a prophet. This is how God encounters us. Sometimes we approach Christianity with a chip on our shoulder, right? We're like, I already know what you people think about me. I'm just here to talk to God. I'm hoping that God has something for me. Sometimes we use Christian as a racial slur. Yeah, I don't want to go hang out with those Christians, right? Because we've got some rough edges in our lives. And, and then we begin to explore with the word of God and we see the things that he has for us. He's not just here to expose us. He's here to restore us. And the more we get to know him, then we kind of soften up a little bit. We're like, okay, sir. I can maybe get with this. You know, I can maybe explore what you have for my life. I might be able to hop on that Christian bandwagon. And then this moment happens where we encounter who Jesus is. He has been there for every single moment of your life. He knows every time that you quote unquote failed. He knows every mistake you've ever made. He knows every fear that you have. He knows everything about you and he stands beside you and he's like, I'm still your Messiah. I don't care. He does care about the details of your life, but he doesn't care that you don't have it all together. He loves you. He wants to be your best friend. A best friend knows every one of your stories, right? A good best friend. Not one of those surface level best friends. They know all your stories. They know all your mistakes. And they still go to bat for you, even when you're wrong. This is like me and my brothers, right? Like, go ahead and say something against my brother. You might be right, but my fist going to tell you that you're wrong. You know, like those are my best friends, right? Jesus wants to be your best friend. He knows your stories, even the ones that you're afraid to pray to him about. Because you're like, man, if I say that out loud, it makes it real. He already knows. He wants to encounter you at the well, at the hottest, hardest part of the day. He doesn't care. He wants to show you, I love you no matter what. I love you no matter 
what. I love you no matter what. Jesus wants to be your best friend. And here's what I love about this encounter with Jesus is that Jesus didn't send the woman away and say, okay, so I'm the Messiah, but you've got some things you need to get together in your life. So go home, kick that man out of your house. And then I'm going to need you to start coming to the well early in the morning, getting good with that little Sunday school crew, clean up your act, and then come back and see me at the well. I have some things for you. He doesn't ask her to go and take care of the details of her life. He's like, come and be a part of what I am and allow me to take care of the details of your life. Even in this moment right now, God has for you righteousness. God has for you living water. He doesn't want to wait to give you love and joy and peace and patience. He wants you to operate that in that kind of life right now. No matter if you're avoiding the well, no matter if you're avoiding Christianity altogether, if you are thirsty, come and drink of the living waters that God has for your life. After the woman encounters Jesus, I love, this is my favorite part of the story, so probably gonna cry. Brace yourselves. Verse 28. The woman left her water beside the well and ran back to the village, telling everyone, come and see a man who's told me everything about my life. Could he possibly be the Messiah? We see a little earlier when they're kind of going back and forth on religious items. She's like, I know, I know you're a prophet, but hold on. There's someone coming. There's a man coming. He's going to explain all of this to us. Everything is going to be better. There won't be this racial divide. There won't be this political divide. It's going to be better. I promise you. I know that you're a prophet. Can you confirm this for me? There's one coming that's going to heal all of this hurt. And he's like, I'm here now. I'm here right now. He's telling you this morning, I am here right now. I know the world looks like it's messed up, but it's not. I'm in control. I know some things in your household feel like they're not right, but it's okay. I'm here now. And she drops her jar and she runs to all these people that she was avoiding because of what they might say about her because of what they might think about her. And she's like, I don't care if you like me or not. I met the Messiah and you need him too. You need to come and experience the living water. You have a life in front of you that's so much better than the one that you're living now. And it's not because you're gonna get your act cleaned up. It's not because everything's gonna be ironed out. It's because every morning you're gonna wake up and draw from the well of joy and draw from the well of patience. You're going to start living a life of fullness. And she's looking at this people who she knows know her stories. Sometimes we're so afraid to tell our friends about Jesus because we might think that, oh, that's a hypocrite. She doesn't love Jesus. Don't you know the things that she struggles with? She doesn't care when you have an encounter with Jesus Christ, the man that loves you no matter what, your best friend, you cannot help it 
but go and tell your friends, I know my life is screwed up in some ways, but trust me, the Messiah is here. He wants to be your best friend. I don't have it all together. You don't have it all together, but there's a life that you have to come and experience. Come with me to the well. And it says these Samaritans who hated Jews came out in droves to meet this man. There's some people in your life that are like, no, I hate Christians. I hate Christians. They've hurt me. They haven't been good to me. But when they see your testimony, when they see how God has impacted your life, when they see that you can have joy, even through grief, that you can have kindness for the people that have stabbed you in the back over and over again, they're going to be like, I don't care if he's a Christian, a Jew, if he's alive, I need what you have. And when you allow your life to be a living testimony, even before you have it all together, all of the people in your community are going to come and be like, I need a drink of that water. I'm thirsty. Your friends are so thirsty. And you have the answer. It's time to start sharing our testimony. And trust me, I've shared my testimony and I've tried to minister to my friends and some of them don't come. It breaks my heart. So I need to just give you a little release in that area. The Bible says that God will draw all men unto him. You can bring the people to the well with you. You can bring your friends and your family to the well. Don't feel bad when they don't take a drink. Don't feel bad when they're not ready yet. Just keep telling them. The Bible says that this woman continuously told the story. She was continuously saying, God will draw your friends and your family to him, but don't stop continuously telling your testimony. Just because they say, no, I'm not going with you. Continue to live the abundant life of Christ right in front of their face. And when they're like, how can you be nice to those people? And you're like, it's God. No, like, I don't want to hear it. Like, okay, just come to the well. Come have a drink. Come to eat us first. It's not so bad. They'll eventually come. God will draw all men unto him. One day every knee will bow. Every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. But in the meantime, drop your jar. Run to your friends and your family. Live your testimony. And because of you, many people will believe in Jesus Christ as the Messiah. These are the things I learned from reading the story of the woman at the well, and I hope you'll hear this and accept it for your life. You have a purpose. You're not just here to exist. You're not here to wake up tomorrow and go to work and punch the clock and on your way home, grab groceries and make a meal and groundhog day, day after day after day. You have a greater purpose than just existing. Here's what the Samaritan woman teaches us. Number one, you were created to have a relationship with Jesus Christ. He wants to be your best friend. You were created for a relationship with Christ. Number two, you were created to have community with 
with a church body. The woman was avoiding it. Maybe you've been avoiding it today. It's time to say, you know what? I'm gonna maybe spend a little more time in the hallways and make some friends. When I notice the person that normally sits next to me isn't here, I'm gonna reach out to him and say, hey, I missed you on Sunday. You were created for this community and we need who you were created to be. Don't avoid the well. Number three, you are created to operate in the fullness of the Holy Spirit to draw from that well every single day. And finally, you were created to share your testimony to help people have their own encounter with the Messiah. Don't take your purpose lightly, my friends. I'm gonna ask you to close your eyes and bow your heads. Maybe you haven't taken the time to accept Jesus Christ as your Messiah. Maybe you've felt this pull and you're like, yeah, Elson, you know what? I want to be in a relationship, in a best friendship with Jesus Christ. And I've never asked him to come and be my savior. We call it the BFF. You simply have to believe that Jesus is the Messiah. You have to ask for forgiveness from your sins and you have to just follow after him with your life, even though you may not have it all together. Just pursue him. If that's you this morning, you say, I want Jesus to be my Messiah. Will you raise your hand? Yes, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. We're gonna say this prayer together. Even if you didn't raise your hand, say this prayer with me. Father God, I believe in you. Forgive me of my sins. Today, I choose to follow you. And I have a second call for you guys this morning. If you want to encounter Jesus at the well, if you want a refreshing, if you want to meet with him and talk to him about maybe something you've heard today. I'm going to open up the altars. I have a couple of friends that are coming. Pray with you. I'm going to pray with you. But if you want to encounter Jesus, don't avoid the well. Come down here and talk to him. He wants to be your best friend. He wants to wrap his arms of love around you. So on the count of three, I'm just going to open up the altars for anyone who wants to come. One, two, three. Come on forward. We want to pray with you this morning. Father God, we thank you for your presence this morning, for meeting us here at the well. I pray that as we go our separate ways today, that we would be reminded of the living water that is bubbling within us, God. Thank you for your peace, your patience, your joy, your kindness, your self-control, Father God. Today, we ask that you would remind us of the power that is within us because you have already paid for it. God, be with us. Bring us back safely on Wednesday night. In your name we pray, amen. Thank you so much for being a part of ES First today. We'll see you guys right back here next Sunday at 10 a.m.